This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060 with Pioneer Field Agronomist Allie Wise and Josh Schaffner. Here's Josh and Allie. Good morning, Southeast Minnesota. It is episode 43. Josh, today is October 7th, so we're progressing into the month of October. And along with that, we're finally getting a a nice stretch of weather, knock on wood, um, to start really rolling hard on some of these beans. It's nice to see some of those fields um, rolling off here pretty quick so that we can get moving on, on corn and hopefully just keep harvest in general moving in a positive way. Yeah, we've um, got a great week of, of weather here. And, um, you know, soybean harvest progress, you know, Allie kind of, you know, a little bit to the east of the, the listing area here. Um, you know, it's hard to gauge. Soybeans are, are coming off so fast um, the first part of this week. But, you know, we might be knocking on the door of, you know, maybe a third or a better of the acres um, starting to come out and looking at the forecast if it holds up. I think as we get through the weekend and early next week, we'll have some growers wrapped up, some close to being wrapped up, and I anticipate to get back to corn. Um, But yields, uh, we mentioned last week, you know, maybe exceeding expectations a little bit. I think that trend continues as harvest goes along. Um, You know, Allie, one thing that's come up in the beans a little bit, um, you know, we talk, uh, you know, about disease, um, kind of talk about all summer long, and, and, and we talk about in the off season too. Um, one of the observations this fall, you know, maybe a little different disease complex. We talk a lot about white mold in Southeast Minnesota, uh, sudden death syndrome, something we talk about a lot, but you know, maybe a little different things showing up across the area. Allie, why don't we just touch base on that a little bit? Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, maybe a little bit different and that's not to say that we're not still seeing more of those randomized pockets of white mold and SDS here and there. Uh, but in general, a little bit of a different disease spectrum. And I think a lot of this has to do with, you just look at the environment that a lot of our soybean acres experienced this year. So that hot weather, um, especially hot and dry in some cases. And I think that's brought in a little bit more um, either charcoal rot or anthracnose or, or maybe some of the diseases that we're starting to see make a play on some of these beans. So it is important just to keep your eye on that, especially as you maybe um, start digging into a field where yields are a little bit off. Um, just some things that you might consider um, when soybean yields are, are maybe a touch off the mark. What, what have your observations been to the east, and do you agree with some of those factors maybe driving some of those differences we're seeing? Yeah, very similar observations, and, and really what we're looking for if you're out there combining beans, and if you just see that the stems are really um, just littered with black lesions up and down the stem, um, that's kind of some of the, the first symptoms we're seeing. From there, it might be a little bit hard to identify the exact disease on that, um, in some cases, too, it might be just a little bit cosmetic. In some cases, it might be infected pretty good. Um, but really, you know, talking to, you know, maybe reaching out to your pioneer rep or one of us and really taking a look at that. In some cases, Ellie, we're sending a few samples in just to confirm a couple of things here. Because sometimes even, even the trained eye can be a little bit challenging to, to, to tell exactly what's going on. Um, in some cases, too, where the beans might be leaning or maybe not standing as good, we're seeing a little bit more of that symptomology. Um, in some cases, too, we're seeing it and maybe really not hurting yields, still seeing good yields out there. But overall, not going to be a devastating disease, but uh, just some of the observations we've seen out there. Um, on the corn side of it, Allie, um, you know, we had a lot of growers plant some early corn early. You know, you think about, you know, just trying to spread out that workload and, and definitely coming off a challenging year last year. A lot of the early corn is just about wrapped up. Moisture has been uh, pretty dry in the low 20s, good yields. However, we've had a lot of questions about, 
that was dry, but the 9900 day is still really, really wet. And maybe just, why don't we maybe just discuss that uh, situation a little bit and maybe what led to that. Yeah, and I'll be curious to get your opinion, but my take on that is that you look at some of those 99 day plus, when they hit black layer, that was kind of right, when the majority of those hit black layer, that was kind of right as we entered those weeks when we were stalling a little bit. It was very hit and miss. We weren't picking up a lot of heat units. So I think they came into that stretch where they were just getting ready to rapidly um, drop moisture to that harvestable level. Um, and they just didn't have the heat to push themselves along. But now you look at, like we mentioned, soybeans coming off um, in some really nice weather here. And it does seem that as we get back to um, corn, I think those moistures are going to be sitting in a really nice place. Um, and you also look at, you know, some of this corn as folks have maybe dug into it, it's really holding on to that green color. And I think that maybe catches your eye sometimes. You feel that it's not as progressed as it should be, or maybe it's higher in moisture. But in a perfect world, we'd have a healthy plant like that at a harvestable moisture um, as we're coming through. Uh, what's maybe your take on some of those? those yeah, um, pretty much exactly what's going on. It, um, yeah, we just hit that little, that little cold blast and really damp uh, stretch where we never got really any big rains out of all that when it was all said and done, but it just wasn't good corn drying weather. And a lot of times after October 5th, our corn drying days really start to taper off. However, this week's going to buck that trend and, and we're going to take off a, a tremendous amount of moisture off this crop. And as guys wrap up beans and get back into the, the 100 plus day maturities, I think they're going to be shocked at how much the moisture drops. I think in just, uh, you know, Monday to Sunday of this week, it wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to see five, six points or better even come off that. You think about Monday, how windy it was. We may be taking a point and a quarter off the crop in general. But, yeah, it's going to be really good if the weather holds up. Um, take advantage. Hopefully we can really uh, get beans wrapped up, and I think we'll run into corn. And, um, yeah, it could be a really nice opportunity here to, to have a harvest come out early and uh, take advantage of it. Um, got nice soil conditions. If you're getting corn out, get the tillage done too in a good way. That's something we fought with. But we're just really in a great spot, Allie, with the way things are looking um across the board i want to think quick alley for rapid segment one should i cut alfalfa late that question came up our first advice is always no we should not cut alfalfa late however if you need the feed that is something we'll talk about here as we come into segment two and uh, just clarify that here in just a couple minutes uh be sure to join back in after break welcome back listeners uh alley in segment one we kind of covered a lot of ground there i briefly teed up we're going to talk alfalfa but one thing we didn't mention on the corn harvest we talked a lot about tar spot this summer we mentioned that as we got into early September, it really started to show up. And as guys are harvesting corn, they're, we're getting a few more reports. They're seeing it on the leaves. And um, Allie, one thing we talked about it, it's gonna be important to, to take good harvest notes because obviously when we, when we think about tar spot, um, you know, hybrid selections and just understanding is it here or not here is gonna be important as we plan for the 2021 crop. Yeah, so there are going to be differences or variation in, in a hybrid's tolerance to tar spot. So as you're rolling through, um, looking out of the combine cab, it is important just to take those notes on which products you're maybe observing more tar spot in over than others. And especially important as you come back to that field next year, if it's going to be a corn on corn situation, um, just making sure knowing that tar spot is, is present in those cases and maybe at some higher levels as well, that you're selecting that product that's going to give you the best tolerance to tar spot. Because once tar spot um, is here, you know, it's very great in sporulation. So, um, it's going to be there for a while. So important that we're managing that uh, via hybrid selection moving forward. Yeah. And when we talked about, you know, what's going to be planted next year, it doesn't really seem like the previous crop alley is having a big impact. We're seeing, uh, or at least I'm seeing some heavy tar spot on corn on beans, maybe just as much as corn on corn. Uh, just a couple observations. Not sure if you've seen a similar trend that it, it doesn't really 
care what the previous crop is. It just kind of depends on the, the environment that it's around it. Yeah, we very much in our minds, we, t- we tend to go to residue management or rotation as, you know, hedging ourselves a little bit more positive, positively, but tillage really is not significant in reducing the intensity of, of tar spot um, in a given field. So that is important to remember as well, even as maybe in a corn on bean situation as you move back to corn. Yeah. And based on how windy it was Monday, I think we probably blew a lot of leaves around because there was leaves flying all across my windshield everywhere I was on Monday with that wind. But uh, so I'm sure we we're spreading it around and it's going to be something we'll, we'll have to talk about and uh, always be prepared for for many years to come. Uh, Allie, I teed up alfalfa um, cutting here just a little bit. I've had a few questions. Obviously, we got a good week of weather. Um, so, you know, is that something we need to be concerned about cutting alfalfa late? Um, you know, my take is I always tell people if we can avoid it, uh, we shouldn't do it. Um, however, if we need the feed, that's a totally different situation, um, you know, of how we should handle that. So in some cases, um, we always got to remember that when we look at alfalfa plant height, that's really the energy that carries it into next spring. So in some cases, the more height we have, usually the better we're going to overwinter. Um, however, um, if you need that feed, that's another conversation that we got to look at where right now we're in that window alley that if we do cut, um, ideally we don't want any regrowth. And right now with a good weather, if we cut, we're likely going to get some regrowth. So I always like to say, if you have to take it, I'd like to wait till October 15th or later, but in some cases that's not going to be a possibility. Um, so that's kind of how I would, would handle that situation. Uh, Allie, fall weed control, um, something that we talk about every once in a while, but usually a no-tiller. Uh, so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about our no-till situation, but um you know, we think about fall weed control, it's usually a different spectrum of weeds, Allie. Uh, it's usually the, the winter annuals, the dandelions, the shepherd's purse, all that stuff. But um, I think maybe we just spent a little bit of time talking about some options of that as well. Yeah, so like you said, I mean, especially when we look at maybe fall weed control in a no-till, no-till situation, just that spectrum looking a little bit different, important to make sure uh, we're thinking through what are some things that work well, don't work well. I'm actually going to throw it back to you just being as you know, the area you cover is a, it's a touch more predominant in the no-till f- field of things. So as we look at those things we need to be kind of focusing on as we move into fall here, what are some of those factors that, that you walk through? Um, yeah, it, um, you know, it's something I talk about a lot in the spring because commonly when I'm out walking no-till fields, we're, we're seeing a lot of dandelions and I usually remind people, hey, when it comes to this fall, don't forget about your rotations and what's it's an opportunity. But, you know, right now, um, you know, where we do some no-tilling, where we fight that unique uh, spectrum of weeds, it, it's it's a pretty low-cost uh, application, but usually we're just going to look at, you know, a pint and a half of 2,4-D LV4 this time of year. In some cases, we're going to add crop oil to every application of that. In some cases, we may add a product like Basis uh, into that, that. That can carry a little bit of broadleaf residual, even on the annual broadleaf side in the spring. Uh, so that can help, you know, make sure that it's clean when you start, get yourself a little bit of residual uh, to get to your, your next round of of early posts or even some pre-emerge applications, but it works extremely well. When we think about dandelions or some of these uh, winter annual weeds, they're very easy to kill in the fall, very hard to kill in the spring. Uh, so if we can get them done in the fall, you know, lower rates is going to get you probably, you know, at a pint and a half, we're probably going to get 95% control. Spraying a pint and a half and 240 in the spring, you might only get 60% control. That's just how much better they work. Uh, but always something we want to be thinking about uh, each fall, if we're going to do some no-till and corner beans, especially, I really focus on the, the, the bean ground now. The beans are coming out early. It's really warm. We're going to get some of those winter annuals to germ, and those are the acres I really focus on as we prepare for the, the 2021 crop. Yep, absolutely. So just some nice pointers there, and certainly as folks have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. I think above all, as we just maybe move into the end of this segment, just a quick recap. I know we've gone over 
you know, quite a bit today. I think just remembering in the soybean side of things, if you're digging into some fields that seem a little bit off, just, you know, really honing in on what some of those disease spectrums could be. And then giving us a call if you feel it could be maybe one of those charcoals, rots, or anthracnose, so we can send in a sample for you. On the corn side of things, like we mentioned, maybe those moistures before you switch back full board of beans were a little bit higher than you'd like to see. Feel that this weather is going to really push those to a really nice harvestable moisture by the time you get back to corn. Um, as always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. That's it for this week, Josh. We'll talk to everyone next week. You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-E, and at Josh Schaffner to submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060. We'll see you at 11 a.m. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.